Hey, good evening. Welcome to the mine. We are so glad to have you all here again this week. And for anyone who's new, we're just glad to have you with us tonight. Uh, it's going to be another great night. We've got some great worship from Phil tonight, and uh, we're going to be back in the book of Ephesians tonight going through it. So we're excited about that. Speaking of prayer, let's ask the Lord to be with us tonight in a special way. And I'm going to turn it over to Phil, and we'll have some worship tonight. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have again to be here. Uh, Lord, help us never to take for granted that we can walk into this building on Tuesday night, that we can walk in freely, and uh, Lord, that we can come into a place like this that's provided for us, and we can lift up your name, we can glorify you, we can appreciate and praise you for all you are and all you've done and all you are doing. And God, we can also open up your word and we can learn about you and draw closer to you and just be reminded of the great truths of Scripture, Lord, that can just inspire us. And God, even tonight, the passage we're looking at, it's not like we probably never heard this before, but Lord, hopefully I, I pray that we would see this passage with new eyes tonight and that we would hear your word with, with new ears tonight and that, Lord, the words uh, of Scripture would just jump off the page into our heart, into our minds. And Lord, truly transform us tonight, Lord, and refresh us and revive us to rise up to be a, a people that can truly be a light in, in the darkness. So God, go with us tonight. May this be a very special night. We, we dedicate each Tuesday evening to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord, too, tonight through His Word. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be here in the mine through May 13th. So we hope you'll hang in there with us for the rest of the semester. In fact, invite some folks to come with you. We're coming into some... Really, really cool passages of Scripture, and as I shared last week, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be spending a couple weeks on that. So we hope you'll come back and invite some folks to come with you. While you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5, if you could find the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 3, we're going to head back there in just a moment as well. So go ahead and Put your finger one place in Ephesians 5 and then go back to the book of Joshua. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible right after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, chapter 3. And I also tonight want to begin, just like Jeff does a lot of times, I do things backwards. I want to begin actually at the last verse of the passage we're going to be looking at tonight. Because the last verse really is the foundation and sets everything up for what Paul's going to say up to that point. And let's remember, as we approach Ephesians chapter 5, just as we have studied all of Ephesians up to this point, this is a letter written to the church. It's a letter written to the people of God, the saints of God. And so what Paul is saying here is to us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's very important because a lot of times when people come to passages and, and whatever, we have to first figure out what the context is and who the author is actually addressing in order to make sense of what he's saying and to make a proper interpretation of the passage. So when you come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14... 
Paul is actually quoting here. In fact, in your Bible, uh, the last part of that verse, may the typeset may be off just a little bit. And here's what Paul says, and he's quoting. Arise or awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. There is very good evidence that this is what Jesus Christ himself said to those that he literally raised from the dead. There's also very good historical evidence that in the early church, this was a saying that was used in baptisms. That in the early church, when they would baptize someone, they would lay them under the water, and they, as they were bringing them up, would say, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's a great, great truth in that verse. First of all, I want to look at why we need to wake up. You see, in a sense, God is saying to His church at times that from God's perspective, we're like a sleeping giant. That, that there's all this, this power, all this potential, all this, this greatness within the church. But many times the people that make up the church, we are spiritually asleep. And really what God is calling us to here is for all of us to just sort of take stock of where we are in our Christian life and say, you know, could we maybe be a little asleep, if you will? The word sleep in the Bible in this instance just speaks of a Christian who, and we've all been there at times in our Christian life, where we can become apathetic, we can become indifferent, we can become complacent, disengaged, lethargic, we could keep piling up words and going on and on, basically all meaning the same thing. That's exactly what Paul's saying to the church here in Ephesus. Guys, be careful. Because in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, you need a clear testimony in that city in order to shine the light of Christ. And, and if you guys in Ephesus begin to fall asleep, you begin to get a little indifferent, a little disengaged, you're not quite as active and alert in your faith as you once were, you and I can begin to sort of fall asleep, spiritually speaking. So Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And the light that he's talking about there is the light to light our path. To give us direction in life. To show us where to go. And, and for many Christians, one of the things that they always ask is, you know, Pastor Jeff, what's God's will for my life? What's He want me to do? What's the next step He wants me to take? And all of this. And a lot of times I just try to begin to ask them questions and probe into where are you spiritually? Do you feel like you're just, you know, going through the motions? Uh, are you coming out of a season in your spiritual life where you would consider yourself pretty, you know, complacent, indifferent, apathetic to spiritual things? Then here's what you need to do. Begin to re-engage in your relationship with Christ again. Begin to get excited and enthusiastic and passionate about your relationship with the Lord. Begin to re-engage with the Bible and with prayer and the people of God. And as you and I begin to rise up out of our spiritual slumber, I guarantee you, based upon the authority of Scripture and God's own character, His light will begin to light your path. You see, for many Christians... 
where we go wrong is we, we want God to light our path and then we'll start walking down the way. And then we'll start getting excited. And then we'll start engaging in, in our faith and, and you know, getting uh, passionate about our relationship with Him. And God says, no, no, no. Notice in verse 14, first, I've got to begin to awake out of my slumber. I've got to change positions, rise up. And then Christ's light will start to shine on me. But not until I begin to re-engage in that relationship and show the Lord that, 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 his, that my life with Him, my relationship with Him truly is a priority in my life. And, and I'm going to start changing some positions and changing some priorities. Then the light will come. Then the light will come. And for those Christians who are already doing that, I just tell them, just keep doing it. Christ will shine on that pathway that He wants you to go down, and that light will be very clear because God wants to make His will very clear for those who are really interested in following Him. Now, keep your finger there in Ephesians 5. We're going to come back here. But the reason I want you to go back to the book of Joshua, to chapter 3, is I want to show you from the Old Testament that there's a principle here that really runs throughout the Bible. And it's a principle that I just talked about, that, that God wants to first see where we are before He will open things up. And in a sense, I have to be willing to take a step of faith towards God, then the light will come. Then the way will open. Instead of it being the other way, God, you open up the way and show me where I'm going, and then I'll, I'll see if I want to go that way. God says, no, you trust me by faith. You take that step. So tonight, even before we go to this passage, because this is a, a really uh, cool passage of Scripture, a, a really a dynamic illustration of this principle, I just want to ask you tonight, are you looking for the light of God in your life? And, and if so, is it possible that God is asking you tonight by His Spirit to take a step in your life? I don't know what that step is. I'm not going to play God in your life. I'm just asking, is there a step that God wants you to take? And then once you take that step, that light will come. Here's the story. Moses has died. Moses is off the scene. Joshua now has taken over the leadership of the nation of Israel. And he's going to be the one to take the children of Israel into the promised land. But before they get into the promised land, they've got several obstacles to get over. And one of those obstacles is the Jordan River at flood stage. And here's what God says. Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. Instruct the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the bank of the Jordan River, wade into the water. Verse 13. When the feet of the priests... Carrying the ark of the Lord, the ruler of the whole earth, touched the water of the Jordan. The water coming downstream toward you will stop flowing and pile up. So when the people left their tents to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. When the ones carrying the ark reached the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the ark touched the surface of the water, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest time. The water coming downstream toward them stopped flowing. It piled up far upstream at Adam, the city near Zarathon. There was no water at all flowing to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea. 
The people crossed the river opposite Jericho. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stirred firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. All Israel crossed over on dry ground until the entire nation was on the other side. Just as he had done, just as he had done with the Red Sea and the crossing of the Red Sea when they left Egypt. But here's the principle. Put yourself back at that time. Whole nation, the priests carrying the ark, they're the, they're the leaders of the nation. And they're carrying the ark of the covenant that represents the very presence of God and the power of God in their midst. And God says to Joshua and to all the people, it will not be until those priests are willing to literally stick their feet down into that water that the waters will begin to pile up. You see, they had to be willing to take a step of faith. They had to be willing to get into the water before the waters would begin to stop and part and the way would be made open for them. That's exactly what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. He's simply saying, guys, we've got to wake up. Throughout our Christian life, we're not always going to be as engaged and alert and as active as we should be as a follower of Christ. And so every once in a while, the Spirit of God has to stir our hearts and the fire of our hearts to get us sort of, you know, our motor running again for the Lord and getting us revved back up again for spiritual things. And when that begins to happen and we begin to turn back to the Lord and make the Lord a priority of our life and make the Word of God and prayer a priority of our life, then the light of God begins to shine on our pathway and the things that maybe before we were groping for because we were spiritually asleep now are becoming very clear to us. In fact, before you go back to the book of Ephesians, Go back to the New Testament, but go to the book of 1 Thessalonians. This just popped into my mind. There's another place where Paul talks about sleep being a, a metaphor for sort of spiritual lethargy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want to begin reading in verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 4. And then we'll go back to Ephesians 5. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness for the day to overtake you like a thief would. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then, we must not sleep as the rest, but must stay alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we are of the day, we must stay sober by putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, our hope for salvation. He's simply saying there to the Thessalonians, we need to wake up. God didn't save us in order to sleep, spiritually. Do you realize that the average human being physically sleeps 219,000 hours during their lifetime? That's depressing, isn't it? 200, the average, average human being spends 219,000 hours physically asleep during our lifetime. Man, what could we get done if we didn't have to sleep? But Paul here isn't talking about physical sleep. Because as sad as it is that maybe we would spend so much time on earth physically asleep would be that as a Christian after we've come to know Christ, that we spend so much time 
spiritually asleep and not truly engaged in our relationship with God. And that's exactly what Paul is reminding them of. So you can see, this is a common theme. This isn't something that's just isolated in one part of the Bible. This is something that God reminds His people of over and over again because we're so prone to it, and God knows that. And so He gives us these reminders throughout His Word, and that's one of the reasons why we just need to read His Word because as we read these different books of the Bible, we're going to be confronted and encouraged and exhorted to maybe wake up if we're falling asleep, spiritually speaking. Back then to Ephesians chapter 5. Here's one of the reasons why God wants us as a church, as His people, to wake up. Let's go back up now to chapter 5 verse 1 and follow the thought of Paul down through this passage, consummating with that thought in verse 14. First of all, he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. It's the only time in the Bible we're told to imitate God. Now, there's a time where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But this is the only verse that says, imitate God. In fact, the Greek word is the word mimetes. M-I-M-E-T-E-S, where we get the word mime or mimic. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us as Christians to do. To wake up and begin to imitate God. That as we live our life, we are to do as God does. And again, this is important because, especially a mime, a mime doesn't say anything. And I think God is simply saying, I would appreciate out of my people less talking and more action. More doing what... I do as God rather than talking it. Because all of us can talk the talk. And, and we can say anything. But God says, let's back it up with actions. Let's let others see the reality as you imitate me. And in order to imitate God, we've got to be spiritually alert, awake, and engaged. Because I've got to be... Focusing on God. I've got to be focusing on His Word. I've got to be meditating on what God does in order to imitate Him. I cannot imitate one I'm not focused on. I remember when I, back in, way back in the day when I played sports, uh, I was a pitcher. And honestly, for me, it might not have worked for everybody, the way I improved my pitching was every chance I had to go see a good pitcher pitch whether it was even watching them on television or especially if every once in a while we could afford to, to go as a family to a major league game and watch a pitcher pitch, I would just watch everything they do from the time they got the ball, the wind-up, everything. Everything. I just, I watched. But my goodness, it, it takes some energy just to be that engaged, to just focus on someone that intently. But we have to do that in order to imitate God because we've got to be focused on God to that level. I remember also back in my days of playing high school football. Talk about focus. We were playing an, a, a team that was undefeated. We were undefeated. It was a big, big game for us. Probably the winner of this game was going to be favored for the state football championship. And the team that we were playing had an All-America center on offense. 
And the coaching staff, our high school coaching staff, watched film after film after film of that team. I mean, how many hours, how exhausting, how focused, how engaged. But they wanted to catch something that they could use in order to defeat the enemy. And they found this little tick that this center had. That when he would hike the ball a certain way and make a certain movement on the line, the running play was going to go right. And when he made another move, it was going to go left. And when they found that on film and we were able to practice against that, man, we, we swallowed up them up defensively. And we were, you know, because why? Because somebody took the time to focus that intensely on something in order to get some kind of something that they could use to, to get ahead, to make progress, to do better. That's sort of the idea and the mindset that Paul has here when he says, don't pass by that phrase, be imitators of God. It means then that we've got to take the time and energy to focus on God and Jesus and how he lived his life and to read the Gospels and to read his word and to really become engaged in how God lived in order for us to imitate God. Also notice in verse 1, he reminds us not only to imitate God, but as dearly loved children. I've also got to wake up spiritually so that I can become as conscious as I should be about how much God loves me. That God really, really loves me. But when I begin to fall asleep spiritually, even though it's true, I begin to lose consciousness of how much God loves me, how much He cares for me. And I begin to maybe even doubt His goodness and His love for me at times. And so Paul says to the Ephesians, guys, let's wake up. Let's wake up so that we can imitate God and be faithful followers of God. And let's wake up to the love that God has for us. Let's not fall asleep to what kind of extent God loves us. Notice also, and live in that love, verse 2. In other words, that everything that I do comes out of the soil of His love. That God has rooted me in His love, the Bible says. He's planted me in that love. He has watered me in that love. In fact, Romans 5, 5 says that God has given us the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit has poured out His love in our hearts. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I've said this before. I, I as a Christian... Never have to pray for God to give me more love because this person in my life is so unloving and God, I need more love to love them. No, God says, just tap into the love you've already got through the Holy Spirit of God and you'll be able to love them because I've given you all the love you ever needed when you became a Christian. I poured that love into your heart through the presence of the Holy Spirit and I just want you to live in that love. I want every expression of your life to come out of that ground of love. But in order to do that, I've got to be spiritually awake. I've got to be spiritually alert. And then notice again in verse 2. And live in love just as Christ also loved us. So there again, he's bringing up the example again. The, the imitation, the pattern, and saying, guys, let's get our eyes back on Christ. Maybe here tonight, you know, this past week, we got our eyes on somebody else. We got our eyes on a circumstance. We got our eyes on some situation in our life. And we have taken our eyes off of Christ. And Paul is saying, guys, let's, let's stay alert. 
That's what our spiritual enemy wants us to do. He wants to distract us. He wants to throw up those red herrings in our life and have us go after them. And we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ and use Him as our ultimate example of life and to love as Christ loved. And notice, it was a sacrificial love. And it was a love that was acceptable to God. For it was a sacrificial and fragrant offering offered up to God. Wow. Man. Now here's the thing. Many people would read verse 2 and go, there's no way. And there is no way in and of ourselves to love like that. But remember, everything God encourages us to do, He will give us the strength and the power to do it. So I don't, I don't have to try to follow Him in my own strength. I don't have to love as He loved on my own. I couldn't anyway. I do it as I allow the Holy Spirit to produce these things in my life. And in order for the Holy Spirit to be working like that in my life, I need to be awake. If I begin to fall asleep spiritually and begin to get a little sluggish, then I'm probably going to have trouble engaging in the encouragement that Paul has shared with the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Notice beginning in verse 3. He says, guys, here's why we've got to wake up too. He says, there's a world out there that's looking for light. They, they, they are living in darkness. Just like one day before Christ, we were darkness. And he says, so part of it is as the church needs to provide this this difference, this different way of living, this distinctive lifestyle so that the world and those without Christ can look at our lives and see the way we live and go, you know what, there is something different about them. They're not just saying it, they're living it out. And their lives are different since Christ came in. What comes out of their mouth is different. Their attitudes towards each other and towards humanity is different. Their actions towards each other is different. And God wants to bring that distinctive lifestyle to the church so that the church can shine bright and be a light. And we're going to see that pattern throughout this passage. Notice verse 3. But among you, among the saints of God, there must not be either sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, or greed, as these are not fitting for the saints. You see, he's simply saying it, it doesn't go together if, I, if I'm claiming to follow God and being an imitator of God. This isn't what God's life was all about. If we study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, this isn't what Jesus pursued. So if I'm claiming to be a follower of Christ, and Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, then shouldn't we be following after the same things that Jesus pursued in his life? And it's certainly not these things. In fact, in verse 4, he goes on, Neither should there be vulgar speech, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, all of which are out of character. Out of character for who? Out of character for those who claim to be Christians? Out of character for those who claim that Christ has come into their life and they're now new creations? And listen, folks, myself, Paul, no one here tonight is saying that the day after I become a Christian, all of this changes in one day. But what we are saying, according to the Bible, is if anyone, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, if anyone is a 
in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things will begin to pass away and there will be a whole new way of living. And that we should see this progress, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, of laying aside certain attitudes and actions and, and, and things that I say and putting on the wardrobe of God, as we talked about last week. In fact, notice what should characterize a Christian, someone who's imitating God, verse 4, is somebody who's thankful. Instead of using our speech to say the foolish things and, and tell off-color, dirty jokes, I should fill my lips and my mouth and people should hear me being appreciative and praising God and thankful for what He's done and who He is and what He's given me. For notice what Paul says in verse 5. For you can be confident of this one thing, that no person who is immoral, impure, or greedy, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul says, guys, here's the reason we've got to wake up as Christians. Here's the reason we've got to wake up as the church of God. Because we're talking about something that impacts eternity here. You see, the way I live my life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, is not only going to impact me here on earth and other people on earth, it's going to impact eternity. The Bible clearly teaches that, that my heavenly reward awaits me. And not only my heavenly reward, but my role and responsibility that God's going to give me throughout eternity is going to be based upon my faithfulness and my commitment to following Christ here on earth. Again, we don't get to heaven by our good works. No way. We're saved by grace through faith. But after I become a Christian, the way I live my life and how spiritually engaged I am in following Christ is going to determine my role and responsibility, my position of reigning with Christ for all of eternity and the rewards that Christ gives me. And that's what Paul is saying to these saints in Ephesians. That you could lose your inheritance. Keep your finger there in Ephesians and go over two books. Through the book of Philippians to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 23 and 24 of Colossians 3. So important. Because there's a lot of people that I believe misinterpret this verse, they apply this verse that we just looked at to non-Christians, people who don't even have Christ. But I think if you study it in the context, you have to be faithful to the fact that this whole passage is not addressed to non-Christians. This passage in Ephesians 5 is addressed to Christians. Christians who cannot lose their salvation, according to Paul in chapter 5, verse 5, but can lose our inheritance our reward. And that causes a lot of confusion, even in the church. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you are doing, Christians, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not for people, because you know that you will receive your inheritance from the Lord as the reward. Serve the Lord Christ. And I could take you to verse after verse after verse that teaches that inheritance is never used of somebody who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. That every time the concept of inheritance is used, it's used in connection with the child of God. 
Because it's the child of God who has promised an inheritance, a reward for our service to Christ. And all Paul is reminding us of as Christians is, guys, let's just stay awake here. Let's encourage each other to stay awake and keep at it and keep enthusiastic about it and keep passionate about it and keep that fire burning in our life. Because, guys, we're not just living for the here and now. We are living for eternity. We are living to make an impact for eternity. And we're living for eternal rewards and eternal roles and eternal responsibilities. Fact. Another passage that emphasizes this, and I know I'm turning to a lot, but I think this is so important that we nail this down because, can I just tell you, in 24 years as a pastor, I talk to so many Christians who I believe are confused on this issue we're talking about tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go back past Ephesians to the left. This passage is talking to us about when we as Christians stand before the Lord one day, And we are evaluated, not for our sin, because our sin has already been paid for on the cross. And therefore, that's already taken care of. But the Bible does teach for Christians there is an evaluation day coming. It's an evaluation day based upon, again, how we've lived our Christian life. And Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, guys, wake up, because I... I believe that some of you are in danger of getting to heaven and that being it. And you don't realize what you're going to miss if you just have the attitude that I'm just glad I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven and my sins are forgiven. That's good enough for me. Paul says, if you and I are truly engaged in our spiritual life with God, that would never be the answer. That would never be enough because Growing in my relationship with Christ means I get to know God in a deeper way, in a, in a better way, in a greater way. I have a greater concept of His greatness and goodness that not only benefits me in eternity, but certainly benefits me now. Because part of the way why we struggle so much in trusting God is because we forget how great He is and how good He is. And the more we grow as a Christian, the more we establish His greatness and His goodness. So here's what Paul says to the Corinthians and says to us. I want to begin in chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, someone else builds upon it, and notice, each one must be careful how he builds. Alright, just like our church is called Cornerstone because Jesus Christ is the Cornerstone. And he's the only foundation that anybody can have, any church can have, any individual can have. But upon that foundation, then I've got to be careful how I build my life after I come to Christ. And here's why. Notice verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen for the day. That day of evaluation that's coming for all Christians will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire of God will test what kind of work each has done. If what someone has built survives, he will receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, don't miss this, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't miss that. You see, Paul says there is the possibility for Christians. That there will be some Christians who because they, 
They were a Christian, no doubt about it. They accepted Christ as their Savior. Their sins were forgiven. They were on their way to heaven, but they never grew. They never matured. They never were spiritually engaged. They never were enthusiastic about learning more about God and the Bible and spiritual things and getting involved in church and growing and ministering and serving. Oh yeah, they're going to go to heaven. But when God tests their life and tests their works of their life and their service, everything after they became a Christian is going to end up burning up. And they're not going to have anything to show for their relationship with God other than the fact that they accepted Christ as their Savior and they're saved and they're in heaven. And Paul says, guys, you've got to realize that from God's perspective and from someone who understands what could be lost here, that you're still suffering loss. Because though you're going to be in heaven, and that's great, we have to realize that there's so much more to what God had for us here and has for us throughout eternity if we'll just open up our lives and surrender to Him. And that's why God is calling His church to wake up. To wake up because eternity is going to be impacted. Not just our eternity, but if we don't wake up as the people of God, that there could be other people's eternity impacted by our indifference, our complacency, our apathy, our lethargy. It has been said that the greatest witness for Christ and for Christianity is a growing, vibrant Christian. It's also been said that the greatest deterrent of following Christ and embracing Christianity is the Christian like Paul's just talked about in 1 Corinthians 3. And that's why God's saying to his people, let's wake up. Let's wake up. I don't know about you, but I believe God has burdened my heart that not only do I want to make an impact for Christ here and now, but I want God to be able to trust me with some great responsibility and role in his kingdom. And so I want to be faithful to Christ and I want to give it my all. As Paul says to the, uh, to the Colossians, work at whatever God's called you to do with enthusiasm, knowing that, man, this isn't just we're talking about a few years here. We're talking about eternity here. One other one, and then I'll get off of it, okay? If you go all the way back to Second John, it's all the way almost at the end of your Bible. There's Revelations, the last book, and then the book of Jude, and then the book of Third John, and then the book of Second John. And the reason I'm just traveling through some of these verses is because I, I just want to share with you, these are principles that are taught throughout different books of the Bible, and this isn't just an isolated case. Notice John, even, the apostle says in Second John, and since there's no two chapters, it's just one chapter, it's verse 8. Notice what John says. Watch out, Christian, so that you do not lose the things we have worked for, but receive a full reward. Wow. A full reward. It says, don't you want all the inheritance? Don't you want all the reward? Don't you want everything that God wanted to give you? I do. I want to go after it. Again, I can't do it in my own power and my own strength, but by God's grace and God's power, I want to go after it. 
I don't want to be one of those Christians that when I get to heaven on that day of evaluation, everything burned up. Wow. I'm going to regret that if I get there that day. So that's why Paul says to the Ephesians and he says to us, guys, we've got to wake up. Notice if we go back then to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. He says, look guys, I know I've said some tough things here tonight to you. But he says, let nobody deceive you with empty words. In other words, you're going to have people come along and go, oh, wait a minute, that, that, that's too harsh and, and that's not going to happen and, and don't worry about it and that's not really what the Bible teaches. Paul says, look, don't let people come along in your life and deceive you. What Paul has shared with us tonight is the reality of it for the Christian. And so he says, let nobody deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, God's wrath comes on the sons of disobedience. And people flip out when they see God's wrath in the Bible. When they picture God's wrath, they picture this lightning bolt coming out of the sky and frying them because they did something wrong. And that's not biblical. That is not God's wrath. God's wrath in the Bible is simply defined as the temporal earthly consequences of my sin and disobedience. And even as a Christian, I've got to realize that if I disobey God and I rebel against God and I thumb my nose at God and say, God, I know this is what your Bible says, but I'm going to do this anyway. God says, fine. I give human beings a free will. I give my children, Christians, a free will. And if you want to disobey me and go down that road, you go ahead. But just remember, as you go down that road, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. I mean, the story of the prodigal son is a great story of him repenting and coming back to his father and his father embracing him. And, hey, he was in the family. He was never out of the family. But let's not forget also a piece of that story. The Bible teaches that that prodigal son squandered his whole inheritance. Because remember before he went and lived in riotous living that he asked his father, Father, give me my inheritance. And the father reluctantly gave him his inheritance. And he went out and man, he sinned it up and he lost all of his inheritance. And so Paul here is saying, look, God forgives us. But there are still consequences to forgiven sin. That's something sometimes that even Christians have a hard time grasping. It's almost like they feel like, well, if God's forgiven me, then why doesn't he wipe the consequences out? Well, because it's not biblical. God says part of the reason why I let the consequences there sometimes is hopefully so that you and I will learn our lessons so that we won't go down that road again. So that we know that if we do disobey God, there's going to be a price to pay. And the next time we're at a fork in the road and we've got a choice whether to obey God or not to obey God, hopefully the consequences that we suffered the last time will take a step and go, you know what, it was too painful to not follow God. I'm following God. And that's why God allows the consequences. I know I've used this story over and over again, but I just use it because I think it's a very clear illustration of this principle. I, as a Christian, could go out tonight, go to some you know, local bar or something, or, and just you know, get drunk, get in my car, and take off and kill somebody. Vehicular manslaughter. Would God forgive me of that sin? 
He sure has. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to allow me to go to court, to probably go to jail, and probably to pay a hefty fine for that as well. And that's all that Paul's saying in verse 6. Don't read any more into it than God says. Don't read any less. All God is simply saying is don't let people deceive you. There is a price tag for sin. There are consequences when we disobey God. Therefore, let's move on. Verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you, Christian, were at one time, verse 8, Ephesians 5, darkness. But now, oh, don't miss this. It's not just that we are in the light. It's not just that we reflect the light like the moon does or the sun. No, God says, since we are in Christ, we are light in the Lord. So He says to us, walk as children of light. Man, if you come in here with your head down tonight and you were a little discouraged and I tell you what, I don't know how you couldn't read that and let that verse grip your heart and not walk out of here with your head held high and go, I'm a child of light. I am a child of light. I'm not just reflecting light. I'm not just walking in the light. But because I'm in Christ, I am light. My life is to be light. And therefore I am to walk as light. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me, John 8, 12, shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew chapter 5, you Christians are the light of the world. Don't set your light under a bushel or hide it in a basket, but let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're light, and we are to walk as light. And the way we become light and shine more brightly as Christians is by getting awake spiritually and getting re-engaged in our walk with God and getting back into the Word and growing again and in Christian fellowship and in prayer and all of those great things in order to walk as children of light. Four, verse nine. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, testing to learn and trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate then in the fruit, unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And the cool thing is, as I get awake spiritually, as I walk as children of light, I have the power through God to be able to say no to those deeds of darkness and overcome those deeds and not to go back to that old lifestyle and to break away from the old nature and to break away from the things that was so wrapped me around before I came to Christ. And I can begin to live a new life with a new attitude and a new disposition and a new hope and new goals and a new understanding and a new enthusiasm because I'm realizing for the very first time just how important I am to God, how much God loves me, how valuable I am, what kind of life God has for me here and what kind of life God has for me waiting up there. And therefore, I can wake up every day, hopefully with a little bit of a hop in my step, a little bit of a, a kick in, in me, and realize that I can get, get up out of that bed because whatever job, whatever school I go to, whatever neighborhood I live in, whatever I'm engaged in, I'm engaged in things that are going to matter for eternity. And that should 
really get me going. Verse 12. For the things that they do, those who are walking in darkness in secret are even shameful to even mention and talk about. But all things being exposed by the light are made evident. For everything made evident is light. And for this reason, we say, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When I walk into a dark room, I don't have to flip off the darkness and then flip on the light. All I have to do to dispel the darkness is to flip on the light and the darkness flees. And it doesn't even matter how dark it is. A little bit of light will pierce through all of that darkness. And so God is saying, look, don't concentrate on the darkness. Don't, don't focus on the darkness. Don't focus on all of what's all going on around you, Christian. Don't get discouraged by all that you hear and see. Keep your eyes fixed on me, the light of the world, and walk as children of light. And realize that the reason I want you as a church and you as individual Christians to, to stay awake and to get awake spiritually is because I have called you in this world to walk as light so that people can see the reality of me in you. And they can see that you know which way to go because God is lighting your way and you then are going to be able to light their way as they look at our lives filled with light. I want to leave you with this phrase. Where there is no light, there can be no sight. Where there is no light, there can be no sight. There are so many people who are looking for the way. They're, they're looking for a way through life. They're looking for a way through what muck they're going through right now. They're, they're looking just maybe for a way to get through this 24-hour day. They're looking for some kind of sight to help them along the way. And the reason why we as Christians need to wake up and shine our light and be that light is so that others then can begin to look at the light of our life and begin to, off of our light, to begin to see the path that they need to follow. Because if we're walking in the light, that means we're following Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, then we want to, like Paul said, tell others, you, you follow me as I follow Christ. And I'll take your rate to the Savior. And I'll take your rate to a life that God has planned for you. I'll, I'll take you to an abundant life. I'll take you to everything you're looking for. And all we have to do is not curse the darkness. We don't have to try to shut the darkness out and shut the darkness off. All God wants us to do is walk as children of light and let our light shine. And as our lives shine in that darkness, the people will begin to see the way that they need to go. Not everybody is interested 
Some people don't care. They're not looking for a way. They're not looking for a different way. But there are many out there in the world who are. And there are many Christians who are looking to other Christians saying, I'm a believer in Christ, but I want to know the way. I, I want to know what my next step is as a, as a Christian. Where do I go from here? And they need to have other Christians who are walking as children of light so that they can be just a little bit ahead of them. So they go, oh, that, that's where I go next. That, that's where I go. And that's what God wants all of our lives to be. That's why this passage is so important. And it's all predicated on verse 14. Before I can walk as a child of light, sometimes I've got to wake up. And I, I just, it's so easy to get just complacent. And just begin to go through the motions. And come to church and... That's what I need to do. I need to come to church and I need to open up my Bible. And I'm just going through the motions. But man, it's not, it's not hitting me. It's not burning a fire in my belly. It's not, it's not gripping my heart. It's not engaging my mind. There's nothing there. It's hollow. And God says, here's what we do. Child of mine, wake up. You begin to wake up and just trust me and get re-engaged a little bit. And I'll start shining my light. And you will be starting to walk as a child of light once again. Not only being able to see clearly where I want you to go. But the cool thing is, we're going to be lighting a path so that others can see where to go as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for loving us enough to coming into our lives every once in a while and saying, Child, I love you. And I love you too much to let you sleep any longer. I'm rustling you up out of that bed. I've got too much for you to experience. I've got too much that I want to share with you. Too many lives that I want you to touch. So child, wake up. Let's, let's get going again. Make me the priority of your life. Put me first place in your life once again. And then I'll, I'll begin to shine. I'll begin to shine upon your life and in your life like never before. And there will be a clarity, not a confusion in your life. And you will know what that next step is. You will know what that next path to take is. Because I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. God, thank you for loving us that much. And God, maybe some folks here tonight 
they began to fall asleep. That's cool. God, maybe most of us here tonight weren't falling asleep, but this was still a very good reminder for us. It was a wake-up call for all of us, Lord. Not only to remind us about how easy it is to start getting spiritually sloppy, but just how important it is for eternity that we give it our all and realize, Lord, that there is no greater privilege than to be a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that every man and woman here tonight are princes and princesses of God. And God, encourage us that we are your children of light. We are this army of light that you are sending out into the world in order to light the way. God, use our lives to light that way. And even tonight, as we leave here, may all of us, all of us, just say, God, I want to be that light. I want to be that light. I don't want to hide my light anymore. I want to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.